0: I guess I'm king of something now.
1: Yeah, girl. I believe I was king of Seltzer Kingdom last yeah. week, but now you've usurped me.
0: Yeah, I'm now the king of Seltzer Land, <laughs> Seltzer Kingdom. I just opened a bottle of Seltzer.
1: <laughs> well, not just any bottle of Seltzer.
0: A slightly challenging to open bottle of Seltzer.
1: Yeah, it was in a stone. You had to remove it from the stone. It was the whole thing. Yeah. The stone, I believe, was a meteor of some kind.
0: That's the best thing about the audio format. <laughs> they just have to believe it. Yeah. So, this list says, Mini games, systems.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know.
0: Completionism, ludonarrative dissonance, how many buttons, robot game, community, jumping this little guy around. <laughs> That's the list that I found in my old wet notebook. Okay. Also, hi, I'm Bryce. Oh, are we are we recording still? <laughs> well, again. Okay, I didn't realize the button had I'm pressed. <laughs> I did it. Because <laughs> uh, I figured we were going to accidentally start a podcast.
1: Uh, hi, I'm Will. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and this is SideQuest. It sure is. And today is Tuesday. We it figured is, out earlier.
1: It is Tuesday, the 23rd. Ish. Yeah.
0: And this is the 10th episode of SideQuest. Wow. We, we are officially required two digits. That's, that's a lot of digits. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I decided that I was going to be very ambitious and put three digits of significance.
1: So we're only uh, one digit away from the maximum number of digits we could handle right. with our infrastructure.
0: That's true. And so we can, we can only do 989 more.
1: Right. Yeah. And
0: then we have to stop. Sorry, folks. <laughs> yeah. So... Just enjoy it while it lasts.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're mostly just talking it up, creating an artificial scarcity so everyone clamors to collect all the side quests. That's true. <laughs> while they're still around.
0: Right. And we were just trying to figure out what we should talk about.
1: Yeah, well, first we want to talk about any any news, anything in the in the world that has happened, but... From, I don't know, the actual news. Uh, I don't want that's, to talk about that. That's a bunch of crap. Yeah, I don't
0: want to talk about the actual news. There's like no <clears throat> government anymore.
1: Yeah, but now there is again. Oh, there is again? Yeah, okay. so I don't know. It didn't feel any different.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't notice. It was mostly
1: the weekend when there was no government. And right. mostly people take that time off.
0: I feel like that was a little bit cheating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, ha <laughs> shut down for. Oh, they're closed now anyway. All yeah. right.
1: But I don't know. There's a lot that's interesting happening there, and I don't want to talk about it
0: deal. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. Oh, like almost immediately after the last podcast when we were recording, mm-hmm. we decided that we were going to name our video games to oh, it. Oh yeah. And we th- were both dreading doing this cuz of how naming things can be terrible.
1: Right, it's it's the worst. It's up there with yeah. some of the Maybe worst. Maybe it's things. not the worst.
0: <laughs> but then we talked for like 5 minutes and then we came up with a name, <laughs>
1: <laughs> a name we like. Yeah.
0: Should we oh, tell oh, them? Please.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, will they like it? I don't know. Are you going to like this name? Because I don't want to tell you if you're not going to like it. I'll feel bad.
0: Yeah, they, they're being very quiet.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I guess we should tell them. But, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but, so the name we came up with was um, Whimsy Systems. There you go. Yeah. Whimsy. Whimsy.
0: There is an H in there. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't have to pronounce it if N- you don't want
1: to. That's true. It's, it's optional. It's an optional H.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you have to write it. When you do it. Uh, We did get the URL also. It was untaken.
1: Yeah, it was a .com that was two words that were an adjective and a noun next to each other. Yeah. So that was, was cool. And it was available. In the English language, which is the language I know.
0: And it was spelled correctly. Yeah. Which is the other important part when picking your URL is making sure that when you tell it to somebody, you don't have to then immediately explain how to spell it. Right. So we did that and it worked. So that was part of how we could agree on it.
1: And there's no hyphens or anything.
0: Nope, or underscores. Yeah.
1: Pretty pretty sweet URL anyway. Yeah. Um,
0: so it's whimsysystems.com yeah. which right now has no content on it. But maybe we'll put up something that just says the name.
1: Yeah, we can probably throw up some, some, some stuff there at <laughs> one of these days. Yeah, we just vomit up some content. That's <laughs> more or less what we do. <laughs> you know, just consume a little bit too much and then just vomit up some content made out of a mixture of whatever we've consumed.
0: That's gross.
1: (laughs) It's the creative process.
0: Oh, that's true. And maybe we'll put the podcast on there. I don't know how you do that.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of questions about how you associate content with identification and branding. And Mm -hmm. when you don't have a video game that you've released with your video game studio, what does it even mean to put on a website? But who knows? We're going to experiment and we'll know and we'll get back to you about what that means.
0: (laughs) That's true. And maybe by the time this is edited, which takes me a while usually, so there might be something. Yeah. Something not very good. I mean, not terrible, but not very full.
1: Yes. Yeah. We'll probably put something there. I don't know. Check it out. (laughs) It'll be a real surprise. Mm -hmm. To me, too. Yeah. No one's going to know. It'll be (laughs) a secret to everybody. Yep. All right. So that was the main news, I think.
0: Oh, the other thing is last time we were saying all the things that this podcast can be heard on oh and i remembered what the other one was that i signed up for and never looked at again ah which is tune in
1: i've never heard of that
0: well so i had because something suggested that i make it available the podcast available on it back when i was first setting it up and making it available to in all the places so i was like okay i'll do that one and then i found out that this thing is the mechanism that the amazon echo the alexa oh. automatically pulls podcasts from
1: i see so you could say something like okay alexa
0: play side quests
1: and you probably get that, um, you might get the the Nerd Fitness Podcast.
0: But you might get us. Right. Well, we found out about the Nerd Fitness Podcast after recording several episodes of this. Yeah. And so, whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, there, who knows? It's a, again, surprise.
0: Theirs is different. It's not spelled exactly, the, or it's it's maybe singular. It's like
1: Quest, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even remember. I haven't listened to it. I just read their blurb, so.
0: Yeah, I haven't listened to it either.
1: I think Nerd Fitness is an accurate description.
0: I think that's what they say. Yeah,
1: that's why I think it's probably an act. But I could be wrong. And if, if I'm getting your podcast totally wrong, guys, sorry, guys and ladies, yeah. who knows? I don't know. And anyone in between.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so.
1: Yeah, uh, it's not news exactly, but I was very tired last week. Last week was a very tiring week for me. Mm. But I spent the weekend mostly playing The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Oh. Yeah. Um, which was a, a decent way to feel better after a weekend of resting. And it's a fun game. It's been a very long time since I have sat down and like played a video game for like four hours at a sitting. You mm-hmm. know, and just been like, I'm just going to play this forever until I'm hungry, or, you know. <laughs> right. Like, I have, no, I have no plan other than playing this game. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I probably played about like 12 hours of it over the weekend.
0: That's, that would get you to the end of some video games. Yeah,
1: it's gotten me not to the end <laughs> I believe there are 120 shrines and I have oh. found about 30 of them oh, there's four divine beasts and I have interacted with two of them oh. so you know I'm like moving through but it's a long game yeah um and I'm unconvinced well I'm unconvinced it's the kind of game that I really love Okay. Um, but I'm pretty dedicated to finishing it. Well, I mean, we'll see. I'm also open to getting bored and stopping. Um, well, do you currently own any other games
0: for the Switch? I don't own any other games
1: for the Nintendo Switch, so it's pretty easy. I bought the Nintendo Switch, I don't know, around Christmas time. It was a Christmas gift to me, from me. It was a really good gift. Uh, <laughs> I picked it really well. We
0: were you very excited when you opened it? I you it found was. You what it was? Yeah, it was
1: it was It was awesome. But one of the reasons I bought the Nintendo Switch, well, I bought it for a bunch of different reasons. Mostly there's, like, a lot of enthusiasm about it. And, I don't know, if you think about making video games, one of the things that I have felt over the years of working on on games and talking with you about making games is that I don't play enough of them. Um, (laughs) Uh And and so it's it's a weird aspiration to be like, I'm going to make games, but I'm not, like, that in tune with what? games are at the moment. right? And that kind of matters and kind of doesn't because I am pretty in tune with video games as a concept. Um, But I got the Switch because I wanted to kind of be connected. You know, there's a way that you're like connected to video game culture when you have a console Mm -hmm. and there's like things that are happening that are current and I wanted that like feeling of connection but I also, the kind of inadvertent side effect and I guess I was kind of conscious of this, but I became more conscious of it as I started playing it. The thing that's really awesome about playing a video game console is that, uh, as opposed to playing on your computer, is that you can't do work on your Nintendo Switch.
0: Yeah, or you shouldn't.
1: If you... It, it would be weird. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you're trying to do, what your job is.
0: Yeah, you might, I don't know, they might yeah. let you send emails on it. Yeah, I've it's
1: never... possible. But, I wouldn't try.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't try very hard. I
1: mean, be... um, right, and you wouldn't want to ruin the magic of the, the thing. Right. But, so, you know, I mostly play video games on my computer, and also there's a lot of my work that involves my computer, um, Mm -hmm. and it's the same computer.
0: And I have this trouble doing this with the same transition just when it comes to doing work versus being in leisure time when i'm working from home on something like how do you decide that you're not gonna do the work thing on this tool thing you have you know in that case it would be when working from home how do you decide you're not at work versus you're are at work right and if you have a tool that can do both things you can be like oh yeah i'm gonna play this video game but then oh when i woke my computer up There was Twitter or something, Netflix, YouTube, something. Oh, right. I was in the middle of that article. And so you end up getting a little distracted. Yeah. And
1: the number of times I have sat down in my life and been like, I'm going to play video games, open up my computer, checked my email because that's the first thing you do when you open your computer. (laughs) And then hours pass and some of them have to do with email, which might be work related, but you mm-hmm. might just also end up reading the internet randomly. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, that was my video game time I was planning on doing. Right. And I think I had less fun than I would have had. <laughs> um So it's like really cool to pick up the Switch and be like, I am in video game mode. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do anything else. This is all I'm doing. And it makes it way more engrossing. See, I mostly
0: have been a console player my whole life and then recently started playing on my computer. First of all, because it's not until relatively recently that Mac games are very common. Right. For a long time, there just weren't.
1: Right, you had Blizzard and Bungie. Yeah, and then Bungie... And Lucas was- Arts.
0: Oh, so it's funny, because I didn't have a Mac for yeah, yeah. a lot of that time. I had like a laptop, and it wasn't that good, and I, I don't know. And then I had a Mac desktop, which I got mostly so I could produce video. Right. And so it just didn't have that many games. It, sometimes, but I also had a PlayStation, so I would just play on that. And then for a while, I had a Mac and an Xbox 360. And I would play games on one and not really play very many games on my computer. And then eventually, I don't know, and relatively recently, games have been more available. And Steam is a easier way to get games. You know, before, I would just go buy discs for whatever game it was. Or cartridges. Although, I haven't owned a cartridge system since Yeah, Nintendo.
1: although the Switch is kind of funny because it has these little SD cards. But they're like special nintendo sd cards and they kind of feel like i'm putting a cartridge in a system which is kind of fun (laughs) that's fun Um,
0: they're not actually sd cards
1: no and i don't know what they are inside i assume they are sd cards inside well they They,
0: probably don't want you to accidentally stick it in your camera and format it
1: right or alternately stick an arbitrary sd card into Mm. your switch and Um, easily pirate games that way yeah or you know make games they probably want to prevent people from making homebrew games. You know, I don't know, but yeah, running, some sort running of arbitrary code, yeah.
0: What does DRM actually stand for?
1: Digital Rights Management.
0: That's right. For some reason, you just never need to know all of that.
1: Yeah. But but I really like it as an expansion because I just feel like I just don't want anyone managing my rights. (laughs) Well, I
0: mean, there's a certain amount of protecting your rights that I really like when that happens. Yeah.
1: It's managing just doesn't sound...
0: (laughs) No, it it doesn't sound protecting. It sounds more like...
1: It's something else. Uh, Influencing somehow.
0: Because we talked a bit about DRM last time on how Nintendo had put some DRM when Nintendo was making the NES. Oh right, yeah. They were better at DRM than their competitors and so they could have actually a tighter control over the system. Right. You couldn't just make a Nintendo game. Uh,
1: Although eventually people did, but
0: Well, there were those games that you had to take a Nintendo cartridge oh. and stick in the top of so you actually had to put I remember that. Actual NES cartridge in it so that you could use the DRM loop, you know, hoodwinking from that so the other game would activate whatever it needed to activate Mm -hmm. for the DRM.
1: Like the NES bootloader or whatever.
0: Yeah, whatever it needed on it. The other thing that was true about some of the cartridge games, especially the old ones, was that they, I mean, there aren't really new ones,
1: (laughs) (laughs) so... I take that back. Well, there's early era and a late era, but...
0: Yeah. Sometimes they would actually... They would have a certain amount of RAM in the cartridge... Right. ...that became available for the system by plugging it in. Right. So that was true on the Commodore 64, I think, and some of the other things. So you could build
1: a hardware upgrade into the cartridge. Right. Which is like a wacky thing to do because it's wacky to... the way to think about that where it's like I'm buying extra RAM with every game that I'm not using most of the time. So some of the cost of every game is this four megabytes of RAM that I have to keep buying. Yeah. Because they've packaged it inside of this sealed container.
0: Four megabytes is probably bigger than it was. Yeah, that's true. It was probably like well, four, some kilobytes.
1: Yeah, the first time I bought a stick of RAM to add to my computer, it was four megabytes. Uh-oh. And that was a 486 um, in the mid-90s. Wow. All right. Yeah, and this
0: would have been a little older than that. So you're talking about kilobytes of RAM. Yeah. You we know, got a megabyte. Whoa, that's a little <laughs>
1: intense. That's like a lot of bytes. Yeah. A million. So, yeah, I've played a lot of Zelda, and I don't play modern games a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dark Souls was the modern game that I tried to play recently, and it turns out that playing a game that is, like, famous for its difficulty when you are not good at the basic control scheme...
0: Right, and this is what led us to playing Halo.
1: Right, exactly. And it was kind of fun. I played it for a little while. It was kind of fun and everything, but I was very frustrated by the controls. But I'm still frustrated by the controls with Zelda. And I think Zelda Breath of the Wild is, is a way less casual game than previous zeldas huh, okay except for maybe the first one the first one was a pretty like hardcore you know you're just here and you can die pretty fast
0: yeah well the first one is really crazy because of it really not telling you anything about it
1: right but um, like link's awakening does a fair amount of handholding, like getting you started it has right. like a fair amount of tutorial stuff but
0: that is also the best zelda
1: game um, link to the past is also um and the, I think of those two as being very, very similar.
0: I think that Link's Awakening was maybe shortly after a link to the past
1: that's that they're very close to the same yeah. time among other things, they have very similar art style. Mm-hmm. Um, like the sprites are basically, I mean, obviously not the same because one's on the Game Boy and one's on the SNES. But right. but you're just running this little guy around, um, <laughs> just and the left thumbstick is the run, and the right thumbstick is the camera, or vice versa. Mm. I can't remember now. I would know if I was playing it. That's probably it. it um, yeah, I think it, that's right.
0: It's probably leveraging all other uh, video games. Right,
1: Yeah. And then there's four buttons on the right-hand side and four buttons on the left-hand side. And then there's two mm. bumpers, yeah. or there's, like, a trigger and a bumper on the left and right. And so there's, like, four, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And then there's a plus and a minus button, so there's two different start buttons, essentially. Oh,
0: okay. So it's start four- and select button.
1: Yeah, so there's fourteen Buttons and two thumbsticks.
0: I need a controller. Hold on.
1: Uh, (laughs) And Bryce is running and getting a controller.
0: I grabbed one Xbox 360 controller and one PlayStation 4 controller.
1: Yeah, so these are 14 buttons. These are the same, except. And then plus two thumbsticks. Plus two thumbsticks, right? Yeah, this is exactly the same. Yeah. The only thing that's vaguely different is that the two Switch controllers are symmetrical in a certain regard. So they're labeled the same, right? So Mm. there's a vague sense that the thing on the left is a directional pad okay. with this object, this PS2 or three or four or seven controller I'm holding. Uh, um.
0: 4 We're not quite to seven, I think.
1: And then there's a vague sense that the right is like a bunch of action buttons, right? Mm-hmm.
0: And that's also very funny because if you look at the 360 controller and hold that, yeah. they're not symmetrical, the two sides. Right. The right thumbstick is the thing your hand is actually supposed to be on. Mm-hmm. Like if you're holding it, as yep. opposed to the PlayStation controller where your fingers are supposed right. to you be on Right, you end up the
1: on the buttons in the D-pad, yeah. You have
0: to sort of go a little out of your way, right. all inch and a half out of your way yep. for your thumb. Well, and
1: the Switch, so when I say symmetrical, I don't actually mean that they're symmetrical, I guess. They are the same. The Nintendo Switch controller is very much like this Xbox 360 controller, because they're identical to each other and rotated. Oh, interesting. Right. So the left-hand side is a rotation of the right-hand side because they're two identical objects that you slide onto the sides of the thing. Uh, oh, huh. That's really interesting. And so you have the thumbstick on the top on one and the bottom on the other and the buttons and whatever. And it's very, a lot like this, except that the, like, horizontal spacing is different. Mm. But there's 14 buttons and, I don't know, there's, like, all of them are allocated to things. Okay. And they're all allocated to things that you want to do sometimes. Hmm. And then you can also press on the thumbsticks is that yeah, this thing you can, you can click them. And that does stuff. And the buttons are all very near each other and I've played the game for I don't know, dozens of hours now, right? Hmm. At least one between one and two dozens, um, dozens. <laughs> and I still I'll like need to pull out my bow to shoot something mm-hmm. and I'll hold down the wrong right bumper and accidentally throw my sword at them <laughs> and then I don't have a sword or yeah. ultimately like I'm, I'm in like tight combat situation running around and I'm using the left thumbstick but then if you click the left thumbstick it puts you in crouch mode okay so then I'm running and then I'm suddenly crouching and like slowly sneaking away
0: that's not uncommon from other games
1: yeah it's really hard not to accidentally click the button i think oh, Okay. I, mean, I don't know maybe i'm just like a clumsy ogre right.
0: well <laughs> also console controllers have sort of standardized on certain control yeah. schemes so i played a little bit of breath of the wild on your switch a couple of weeks ago now i guess and i didn't know what i was supposed to be pressing mm. but i had just sat down to it and hadn't gone through any kind of tutorial
1: yeah and it's not terrible i just think that i think that there's more buttons than you need
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i i think if you made the controls more context sensitive mm. then you would have less confusion about you would have fewer buttons. They'd be mapped to all the same features, but they'd be mapped in different ways. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I fundamentally feel like what I'm doing in this game is running around, hitting things with a sword, and using items.
0: Okay. That sounds like a Zelda game. Right.
1: And that's the thing I was able to do with four directional buttons and an A and a B. and the start and select. It doesn't feel that different in the experience of play. So I feel like something about the richness and expressivity of all these different things I can do Mm -hmm. isn't fundamentally changing the play experience I'm having.
0: Well, often what games do with this many buttons is they're divided into small groups. Uh So you have your thumbsticks that are meant for moving around. So those two things, by being very different from the other buttons, are dedicated to movement and looking. Right. And then the trigger buttons and the two bumpers will be for cycling through something, but sometimes one of them is grenade and one of them is... Right. Lipping something. I don't know what... There's, like, some other item that you can use. And then... And this is where it starts getting a little bit wacky, where they're less sort of grouped for different things. But, like, often, the D-pad buttons will all be variants of the same function. Mm -hmm. And the buttons for the right thumb will be similarly variants of the same button. So, you know, like, choosing different things from the same hot menu or whatever. So, like, Fallout, I think, the the arrow keys on the D-pad are... um, They're, like, picking things from your...
1: Yeah, and that's the way nice it is looking. in Zelda. Like, one is oh, okay. picking your weapon, and one's picking your rune, and one's maybe picking your bow, and the other's calling your horse. Oh, huh. Um,
0: Shadow of the Colossus had a horse-calling button that was, I think, triangle.
1: Yeah, oh. and Link whistles. And then it says, well, if you're me, it mostly says, Spotty couldn't hear you, because mm-hmm. I name my horse Spotty. And <laughs> I left my horse somewhere, and I don't remember where. <laughs>
0: It's <laughs> like, so you can just lose your horse?
1: Yeah, yeah, my horse is just standing somewhere waiting for me.
0: Huh. I guess it was Ocarina of Time was the first one where you have a horse. Yeah, not, I don't know. They're not integral to the Zelda experience, but I guess if you have this big world,
1: horses There's are nice. There's stuff that's fun about the horse. And the game does some combat stuff really fun. It's really fun to hop on a horse and use like a spear and Mm. then ride things down and stab them. Um, You're, like, kind of unstoppable in a way that feels really cool. That sounds Um, desirable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you just, like, stab them on the way past, and then by the time the other monsters have noticed you and are, like, turned around, you're far away. You know, it's like like if you were fighting on a horse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's good that it's like being Um, on a horse. But then there's, like, and
1: that's really cool. But there's all these systems, and the combat system is, like, really deep. There's a lot of different things you can do. There's parries, and there's, like counter attacks and there's dodges and there's back jumps mm. and they all like if you're holding down one of the left buttons you go into you know trigger target mode so you're like target locked on an okay. enemy and then you strafe instead of you run you know it's like pretty normal stuff okay but i guess the thing that's really weird and i don't necessarily have anything grand to say about this but i'm gonna kind of leave it at this is that there's this obviously incredibly rich combat system mm-hmm. which i have never needed to win a fight okay Which has barely been taught to me. There's been a couple of tutorial fights where you are required to perform the skill in an extremely easy way. Okay. And then you win the fight immediately and you're like, now I taught you the skill. Okay. And these happen very early on. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of it with the tutorials where it's just like a training fight and then they've told you. And then it goes in a menu where it's like, Mm. hold these buttons to do this. But then...
0: You just mash A?
1: Yeah, but then I've never run into any fight that was... Like, I'm sure if I devoted time and effort, maybe it would be more fun or more satisfying. Mm. But at the moment, devoting that effort just feels really clumsy and annoying. Where every time I, like, try to do anything fancy, I just die or get hit. And then every time I just, like, run around to the back of the enemy and hit them with my sword and run away again, I succeed. Um,
0: Sounds like you should just do that.
1: Yeah, which is weird because there's this cool system that they made.
0: Yeah, it's the first order optimal strategy problem. Right. Which is the first order optimal strategy, which maybe is the last time I'll say that right, is the idea that it's the easy thing to do that works and works fairly effectively so you don't have to explore any of the other depth in the system. It's usually for combat, but it could be for something else. And often it is not strictly the best strategy. Right but it will get you through most of what you need to do and where it runs into a problem is when the first order optimal strategy fails too late right. in the experience that you are not trained up in the rest of the depth of the system and so you don't know the other strategies for getting around problems so if the first order optimal strategy was shooting things with the bow and you could just shoot everything with a bow for 40 hours of gameplay and then you get to the end boss and you can't hit them with a the bow but you never bothered using your sword right. then And you have failed your players by making the best thing to do not be the right thing to do. Or, you know, you should make it varied so you can't use it earlier and so that they have to explore the rest of the system.
1: Yeah, but the other way that this can fail, the other crucial way this can fail, is if you just accidentally make your first order optimal strategy less fun than other strategies. Oh, yeah. And then you can have accidentally encouraged your players to not do the interesting thing. And I feel vaguely like this with Zelda, but it's also weird because Zelda's never been a combat-focused game. Like, combat happens, but...
0: It's never been a game where there's much variety in the combat. Right. It's more or less, can I hit it with my sword? Yeah. Yes, mostly and then occasionally no you have to use this other item first or i have to hit them from this particular right. yeah
1: well they're like the boss fights are these like puzzle combat systems mm-hmm. right where it's like you have to sequence killing a little bit of them or you have to I don't
0: know ram them with uh, your boots
1: right or you have to drop bombs to knock off a thing and then shoot an arrow where the thing was knocked off Right. I don't know if that's actually in the game, but it I sounds know. like a Zelda, sure. Zelda buff.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure um, it was a thing in um, one of the games, at least. Yeah, there's definitely ones that you have to hit with bombs, Yeah, and then they fall down, and you can run up and hit. Often, you have to figure out the right thing to do And then to actually damage it, you hit it with your sword. Right.
1: But I guess it just feels weird to have this this like seemingly pretty deep combat system in this game. And just to, I don't know, it just feels weird. (laughs) And every once in a while I feel like I'm required to use it. But I can always brute force through that by eating a lot of food, which is healing potions. Okay. And food is really easy to get. Okay. Because you just pick stuff up off the ground and then cook it, more or less. That sounds good. Sometimes you shoot animals and then pick up meat. But there's just food everywhere. So it's, like, really easy to have infinite healing potions. Okay. the whole world Uh, made of food. Yeah. And there's also, like, a pretty deep crafting system where you can make Mm. these, like, elixirs that give you Mm. all these bonuses. Okay. And, again, I basically cook all the food I have, and then some of those foods incidentally give me, like, bonuses. Oh. And so I've, I've literally never made an elixir. Okay. Which is one of the two kinds of things you can craft. And it hasn't seemed useful to do so.
0: I've been playing through Crashlands, which is very fun. And I recently discovered elixirs in that game, which you also craft. Okay. I mean, you, you can't have anything that you can use in that game, essentially, without crafting it. Right. There's a small number of plants that give you health or whatever, that if you consume them like they're potions. But you can make potions, and then there's elixirs. And I recently learned that these are different categories of things.
1: That's ridiculous.
0: Well, I understand that there are different categories of things. And elixirs are, like, 20-minute boosts Uh to your stats. And the idea is you can sort of make them, but you can't put them into your hot bar. Oh, okay. This is one of the few problems I have with this game, is that I didn't realize that, so I just never, like, used them. And then you're supposed to be able to take a whole bunch of them and then go into a boss fight. Right. And then be better at things, you know. And the elixirs all last 20 minutes, and I just forgot to bother looking into them. It's Like, I can make these things. Great. I don't care because it's a bunch of effort to put into that. But other than that, it's fun. The game is fun. So it doesn't negatively impact me. I just never bothered going and exploring that thing.
1: Right. And maybe that's like, and this is, you know, part of the genre, you know, the like open world genre or whatever. The thing that I find persistently weird about Breath of the Wild is how many intricate detailed systems are in place that I don't use or care about. And the way that people talk about the game, they talk about these systems a lot. Like, huh. it's so cool that there's all these like, complex physics systems and all the ways these things interact. And, I like, from a design perspective and from a, like, appreciation for what seems to be a well-designed and well-programmed set of interlocking systems, like, I see these things. I think it's cool. If you start a fire, there's an updraft. Mm-hmm. And you can use that updraft to, like, propel yourself upward with your paraglider. Okay. And that's neat. Um, Having wind be created by heat is neat. Mm -hmm. Um, I've not done it.
0: That was one of the early design principles that they put into the game. I saw a talk by the folks who made it, Mm -hmm. some subset of Nintendo. I saw a talk and they started with that and they were using original Zelda art assets (laughs) in a very early demo where they were like, oh, here is a tree and you can cut it down and it floats, but then that means you can make a bridge and that's great. So you can stand on it and it can float and whatever. And then they took that from their early prototype, which used these other art assets. It was actually in 3D. They did like a tricky thing where they're like, oh, I can rotate it and it's not. It's certain, funny. You know, it was kind of neat. But then they showed clips of the finished Breath of the Wild where they do the exact same things that they demoed mm-hmm. in this early tech demo. And it was kind of neat. And that was just a cool way that they came about it. I think they sort of started with those systems. And then right. put a quest on Yeah,
1: top. and I think that's a cool idea. I just feel like there's just all these, systems and they, they give you so many ways to solve problems mm. that you just never mm-hmm. use any of them mm-hmm. like I could cut a tree down and have a bridge I also can swim, and I got some things that help me swim faster or further. Right. There's also a magic thing that lets me make blocks of ice in this water. Okay. And so I can make blocks of ice and walk across. <laughs> I also have a paraglider, so I can pretty much go anywhere. Right. Like, there's like all these things. so
0: yeah, once you give your player the ability to fly, <laughs> I don't really know where I mean glide. but yeah, so
1: a lot of the traversal in the game, if you're me is climbing up to high points and then gliding down, Right. over and over again I've seen other
0: people do this yeah. on the internet as and
1: well. it's fun it's a novel way to think about height mm-hmm. I think gaining height is related to horizontal distance right but yeah I don't know it just seems funny to me but then I think about other games like Deus Ex right okay. with the early immersive sim whatever yeah I played um,
0: half of the first level I think
1: And I guess I have a kind of similar feeling about that, where there's this very rich system that you touch almost none of, but maybe everyone plays differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess the big question is, that I don't know the answer to, would be, is everyone else not touching all the same parts of Breath of the Wild as I'm not touching? Uh. Or is it that everyone is just playing a different game, Hmm. and there's like a hundred interesting games in there?
0: Yeah, and is there value in making a hundred different interesting games?
1: Right. And I don't really know.
0: I saw... So the the game Downwell mm-hmm. is by a Japanese guy. Yep. Just one person. And I saw his GDC talk, which was really interesting. And he talks about how he made it so that people would play it the way he wanted to play it. Right. And Mark Brown talks about it. And I'm sure he's referencing the actual GDC talk. But the idea that he wanted to... It's sort of the opposite of that. Rather than giving everyone all these different ways to play, although he does that with in some respects...
1: Right, yeah, there's a small number of options. But he
0: makes it so that he gives incentives to people who want to play the way that he likes to play. Right. Or he thinks that you should play. I don't know if he likes to play. It's also very funny because in the GDC talk, he plays it for a second and he's like, this game's hard.
1: Right. <laughs> well it's, it's the way that it's the way that he has designed it to be most fun. Mm-hmm. Right. Because one of the things you can easily do in making a game is you can give people options and then they'll take a crappy one and then they'll be like, This game's really boring. Right. And you'll be like, Well, what did you do? And they'll be like, I don't know. I was talking to someone about code names. Okay. Um and code names is this board game. It's a word game where there's a bunch of words on the table and you have to cause your teammates to guess the right words.
0: And not the wrong
1: words. And not the wrong words. And someone was saying about how the game was really boring and really easy. Mm. um, And then it turned out that their play group had just decided to play it really safe and, like, only say one word at a time or whatever. Oh.
0: So it'd be like, cat for one. Right. Every time.
1: And it would always work and the game would be pretty boring. Right.
0: So the way it's interesting is that they give you these very tight restrictions on what you're allowed to say to convey information to your team. So you can only say one word and a number of words that it applies to. And so it's very challenging to try to get people to guess more than one word sometimes. Yeah. And you want to ideally get as many as possible. So
1: Right. Like if I wanted you to guess Florida, Ring, and Lock, I could say Key. Whoa. Um, <laughs> but, uh, ring? Key ring. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so those might be words on the table. But there will be other words that would also be related to keys. Um, right. And that would be on the table, and I maybe wouldn't want you to guess those. Right, um, like so maybe
0: door was on there as well. Yeah. And I might think, oh, a key could get you through a door, and I'd say door, and then I would lose the game.
1: Right, because you'd hit the assassin, which yeah. might be a bad game element in that game. But Yeah. It's hard it just to tell.
0: It seems... I mean, I like it. It's a nice constraint. You just make sure you look at that word Mm -hmm. and think of all the ways that it could be interpreted and just don't say anything that can do that. Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: the other thing that's true about that game is that whenever it ends, it doesn't matter because you just play again and it's fun. And like, you never feel all that invested in winning, which like you try to win and there's a way to try to win, which is fun. Right.
0: Which is untrue of most party games. Right. And this is definitely what I would call a party game where you can get eight people sitting around all playing the game at the same time. Very little yeah. overall strategy. Although it's a
1: weird party game insofar as you're not allowed to talk during it. So it violates one of the main principles yeah. of like what a party game is for.
0: That's why I don't like playing Mao at parties, even though the best time to play it is when you have that many people. Yeah. You basically have to be a board student right. in order to play a lot of that game. Yeah,
1: or you can be, like, in a theater department. Right, during which I was a board, <laughs> a board student. A student, yeah. But yeah, so there are these people who were talking about code names, and they were like, this game is boring and stupid. And mm-hmm. then it turned out the thing they were playing was wildly different from the game that I was playing that I right. loved.
0: And people like imparting their own selves into games and yeah. playing games the way that you want to. You have once talked about how you will always play as a necromancer.
1: Right, yeah, because it's fun to raise skeletons. And that's um,
0: fine. You'll just take the necromancer option. And yeah, if
1: I can kill something and then raise its corpse and have it kill something else, I guess it's like building a machine.
0: Hmm, yeah, but so in that case, having more play options is good. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I get the feeling that I am playing Breath of the Wild wrong. Mm. I get the feeling that if, you know, the designers were watching me play... They'd kind of be like, you know, you could use the parry system sometimes <laughs> and it would work better. Huh. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's hard. I can't get the timing right. Every time I try to do it, I die. It's really easy just to run around and slash them from the back. But I feel a small amount of, like, persistent guilt that I'm not using the game right. And it has a slightly negative impact on my huh. on my enjoyment to feel like, oh, I should try this thing. Right. But, and I guess I only really try to dive into the combat system in high-stakes fights. Oh, okay. So, I, like, I could just, like, go out and train a little bit. Right. Just fight yeah. Kill a way. bunch of moblins Goblins maybe. Maybe. goblins. I don't, I don't remember There's a lot of oblins <laughs> <laughs> this is just every There's Lizalfos That's a thing Octorocks <laughs> All of these are like More or less from the original Zelda Which is funny octo- What are octo? I think they're things that spit rocks at you They're the ones from the water that spit at you Oh
0: Those are called octorocks?
1: Yeah Oh. I guess they're octopuses that spit rocks that's so. legit there you go
0: <laughs> you don't see their legs
1: but the- yeah who knows well it's hard to draw them that many legs
0: <laughs> right it's a lot <laughs>
1: um, but yeah and it's just a funny feeling because there's all these things that I know you can do and the idea of figuring out how to do them feels like mm. work that I would have to do that would stop me from playing the game for a little while so um. instead I'd keep playing the game and I just don't engage with these systems and it just feels funny mm. I'm really enjoying the game I'm loving right. it I'm gonna play through all of it probably it's a hard sell for me to play this game because it is a giant open world game and I don't like long games and I don't like open world games Hmm. and so the fact that I'm continuing to play it is like it's real good that's good um I do like Zelda games
0: right and it's funny because at what point is it an open world game
1: yeah that's a good question
0: because the original Zelda, you could say, is an open-world game. Right. But is it just that you can do not just the next thing?
1: Right, but I would not describe Zelda as an open-world game in the way that I don't like. Um,
0: <laughs> this is like a Scotsman.
1: Yeah, I would describe Zelda as a Metroidvania.
0: Well, yeah, so does Vania.
1: Yeah, that guy. Which is a take on open worldness, mm-hmm. But mostly it's the size of the world. I think it's how long you can wander around and be confused and bored right before you find something to do and I Uh. feel like open world games have doubled down and they're like the experience we really want you to be able to have is to be wandering around confused and bored and not knowing Uh. what to do
0: You can spend a lot of time in the original Zelda doing that. I mean, so you can't spend that much time because it's not very big?
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. You can die over and over again because you could keep going to the too hard place.
0: Right, like the graveyard. Yeah. Yeah, that is funny. And I guess it's just how many other random little things there are in the world to interact with that you don't have to do, Right. maybe? So, like, I don't know, Grand Theft Auto is an open world game. For a while, they just called those sandbox games. Right. Because it was like, oh, it's like you're a sandbox. You can go... Anywhere. Relatively contained. Right. It's like a
1: toy. You play in it.
0: I don't know when somebody decided that there were open world games and there were sandbox games.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I guess Skyrim or something. Maybe. It's funny because I say I don't like open world games. It's about being confused and bored. So
0: you don't like being confused and bored.
1: Right. That's a claim I'm going to make. But I also want to throw out that... My literal favorite game is Star Control 2. It's an open (laughs) world game. And some of my favorite memories of the experience of playing it are about confusion and boredom. Oh, And I think that the way I played games as a child, where I had vast expanses of time and mental space, is fundamentally different from the way that I play games now. It's very hard to imagine being in the brain space where I would enjoy the games that I loved most.
0: Mm. So I like Fallout. Mm -hmm. And I've played a bunch of Skyrim. From all of those games, all the Bethesda games, I have just stopped playing at some point. Right. I've never beaten any of them. Because I played them, felt like I was doing well, got to the point where I could kill big bad things, and was like, now the next dungeon is more or less like the last dungeon. Mm -hmm. The next big quest set piece dungeon is more or less a lot like the last big set piece dungeon. And you start to wonder why they bothered shoving all this stuff in there. Now, some people will play these things, and I understand I'm maybe not their chief demographic. I really like playing games until I feel I have explored them and understand them, and then I'm more or less done. Right. It's why puzzle games are so good, because they think you're done when you understand them as well. (laughs) Right,
1: yeah. Yeah, and that's a really funny thing, because when people talk about puzzle games, Mm -hmm. they, 100% of the time, everything I've ever read about puzzle games, mentions as a defect with puzzle games the lack of replayability. And every time I read this, I'm like, I don't know, why do you want to play it more than once? (laughs) Or like, can't you wait long enough that the puzzles are hard again, because you kind of forgot them?
0: Yeah, I do want to say, and relating some of these topics, one of my favorite uses of lots of buttons in a game... It's a puzzle game, specifically Oddworld. Okay. Because it uses the shit out of the buttons on that controller.
1: The controller has many fewer buttons.
0: Then this controller right here, it has one fewer thumbstick. No, it has two fewer thumbsticks.
1: It has two fewer thumbsticks. Uh, And therefore, it's four buttons have to be allocated.
0: So Will can see this and you can't. I'm holding up the PlayStation 4 controller. So it has two fewer thumbsticks. So it means that your navigation controls are the D-pad. Right. So it, in some ways, subtracts four buttons.
1: Yeah. It had two L and R buttons. It yeah. did. Yeah. It right.
0: had L1 and L2. Yeah. L1 and R2. That's right. And that's what they were called. You don't need any fancy names like RB for bumper. There's an RT some... for trigger. So, but what they do that's interesting is they actually use the buttons a lot. So two of the back buttons, I think, maybe my fingers can remember. Basically, the X square triangle circle buttons have their own functions, like jump and throw things and whatever else you can do.
1: You can fart? Uh. Whistle? Yeah, I think you can (laughs) fart
0: with one of them. And I think in the first one, it's just a joke. And then in the second one, they make it so that your farts explode. Because <laughs> they decided to explode. <laughs> anyway. So then they do things on their own. And then what they did was they took the back buttons and turned them into modifiers of the other ones. Right. And this essentially makes them a group still. So it's really important to this grouping. There's a you know some psych theories about how we can comprehend things, understand things a lot better when we group them. If there's a lot of them. Right. That's why phone numbers are grouped and so on. And so one of the back buttons makes it so that you run. So let's call it L2 makes you run, or L1. It doesn't matter. The run button. There's a run button, and then the other one is sneak. Mm -hmm. You modify how you move, and running is important because it's fast, and sneaking is important because you don't wake up guards that shoot you. And
1: those modify everything about all the controls, more or less. So those two
0: modify just the movement. And then the other ones, let's call it R1 and R2, modify the triangle, square, X, Mm -hmm. and circle button, and they are how you speak. You have eight commands, and they changed them between the two games a little bit, and actually they improved them in the second one, the speech options, because they gave you a Alia Mm -hmm. option, which lets you talk to more than one person at a time which is good. There are these interactions that you have with your fellow mudakins so that you can talk to them and get them to follow you and lead them to safety. And so it's really interesting because they found ways to put more buttons onto the controller right, than almost any other game used at that point.
1: Right, but what they really did was make it so that you controlled the context hmm right. right. all the buttons were context-sensitive, and you could set the context. Right. Um, and I feel like that's actually crucially different from the way that the groupings... There's a kind of grouping that's done with the buttons on the left are like quick swaps between stuff.
2: hmm
1: Right, that's a similarity between all those buttons. But the things you want to swap between at any given time are different mm-hmm. based on what you're doing. Okay. So, like... In a certain circumstance, you might want to swap your item. In another circumstance, you might want to swap your weapon. Okay. And the times you'd want to swap your item are different from swapping your weapon. I'm just inventing a game in my brain. But in Oddworld, the different contexts are very meaningful to the game, right? So running is a context. It's also a state of the character. right? Right. You're like, I'm running, and so my jump is now a running jump. My movement controls are changed in certain ways.
0: Right. You can go straight from a run to a roll.
1: Yeah. And so, like, running and sneaking are, like, they're things you want to do in the game. Right. And also, talking is a thing you want to do in a game. Mm-hmm. So, what they did was they said, you decide what you're doing with these top buttons. Mm -hmm. And that will change the meaning of all the other ones. Right. Um, Which is way better. It would just be terrible if you actually instead had 16 buttons or something.
0: Right. That's true. Also, it's really interesting because this comes back to what we were talking about last time with systems. And this is a PlayStation 1 game, by the way. So this sets it in the middle era. Yeah. So just like... The
1: golden age, I'm (laughs) going to describe it as. (laughs)
0: So, just like how crawl confuses this whole crazy thing <laughs> by being in the ancient era, the old era, and having mini games, this is a game with actual systems in the middle era, golden age where, you are in the same play space you can be in your dialogue mini game which Mm -hmm. we also talked about and then we talked about oxen free right and so it lets you be in the same world space even often in the same world space where there are things that will be shooting at you and you have to avoid them so you have to balance the talking system with the avoiding getting shot system right which is really important and you can even do things like talk to mudakins, your fellow people and ask them to pull levers for you, right? Which is awesome. That's like one of the best parts of that game. So you're using your dialogue mechanism in order to get the moving around the world, doing things mechanism right. to work. They are systems that are imposed over right. Now,
1: right? Talking is a way that you can change the state of the level right. um, through right. these other things. Right. That game's so good. It's a really good game. <laughs>
0: Every time I think of a game as being so good, it turns out it's just an era ahead of its time.
1: Right. I mean, when I say the Golden Age, what I really mean... Well, I mean two things. And one is, I mean, the game that came out during my adolescence when I was most able to get into video games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think of the very best games I played during that era as being representative of the era. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, man, that's when all the really good games came out. <laughs> and a lot of crap also came out during right. that era. <laughs> and there's
0: also a lot of really good right. games coming out now. Yeah,
1: and there's a lot of games that came out between now and then that I missed. and right. But what I there's a meaningful thing that I mean. Mm -hmm. which is that it's a time with a lot of genre experimentation Mm -hmm. and like in general a game development world that consists of a relatively large number of relatively small studios with like less on the line for every game right so like budgets get bigger games get riskier and now of course there's like the indie golden age this is another golden age of video games because there's like a thousand really amazing games that come out every second yeah i think that's true um, oh
0: man, there's like five thousand games. That yeah, just came it was in. bad.
1: So like, obviously, this isn't right. completely special, but and I think actually this relates to mini games and systems. Idea was that genres are comprised of these systems, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of experimentation of I don't know why don't we like try to do these set of things and see what happens, right? So like, Star Control Two is a great example of mm-hmm. a genre breaking game because it's a role playing game and it's an action starship fighting game and it, I don't it's know. a resource gathering. game. Yeah, right. There's like four different things and every one of them could have been a game. Um, In
0: some ways, it's a crafting game. Yeah. You're building your ship.
1: Right, yeah, you get to build your ship. And there's a bunch of different ways you can play. So, like, you can either focus on your ship or, like, buying little starships for your fleet. But yeah, there's a lot of different genre stuff. And I think it comes from an era where this kind of experimentation was relatively natural because there wasn't, like... You wouldn't pitch your game by saying it's an open-world FPS with some crafting elements. Right. Because, like, all of those terms were not fully defined. And so there's, like, a naivete about game design, which mm. made for a lot of crappy games, right. and a lot of crappy game elements in some really good games, right? Like...
0: Like in Star Control Like 2. that tutorial, right? <laughs> and trying to fly that ship in combat. Yeah.
1: But I think that naivete also encourages a lot of, like, I don't know, let's do it.
0: Yeah, well, throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks is right. a way to get stuff that sticks.
1: Right. And the more people are throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks... The better off we as players are. Because yeah. we get to be like, oh, it's a lot of interesting, sticky stuff. Right. Some of that stuff's pretty sticky.
0: <laughs> right. And I think that maybe right now we're going back into more of that period. Yeah. There are many, many years where it was just Call of Duty every year, right, and like, that's what people bought. Yeah. And in that time, the really big indie games were starting to come out. Yeah, and we have the indie
1: resurgence thing, and then the apocalypse, thing. we're at the tail end of the apocalypse. Oh, there's no apocalypse. Or there's a new apocalypse. It's like Buffy, basically. I think there's an apocalypse. <laughs> uh, there's an indie apocalypse every season. Oh, no. <laughs>
0: Not another one. I think they even make a comment about that on the show. Yeah, I don't think there's actually an apocalypse i think less good things stuck <laughs> before i think i while. think
1: it's a you might as a general form for anything at all any domain that anyone is talking about an apocalypse for, you might be able to say there's no apocalypse there's just market forces
0: mm, yeah that's true and then sometimes things come out of it that are like fine I don't yeah. know. that's just how it works um how long have we been talking
1: oh i think we're probably getting on wrapping this up
0: uh we are going to do a brief segment we have a caller and so we're going to take a brief check-in with one of our fans slash jeff (laughs) and uh then we'll be back all right
3: ring ring uh hello are you two the jokers who are running the, the side quests podcast? Yeah, that's us. That question is making some assumptions. <laughs> well, I'm glad that even though it's a podcast, you take live callers. <laughs> yeah, you're on the air. And you're presumably living. Where are you from? Uh, I'm in Providence right now. Oh, how's, is, uh, the, how's the weather? It's raining up here. Oh, it, it was quiet here for a bit. I managed to walk home. Don't try to distract me. I'm calling with a number of issues. Specific to the last episode you all put out. Mm -hmm. You remember that right?
0: Yeah, I edited it very recently. We were there and we recorded it not too much less recently
3: We talked mostly about well a lot of things really. Yeah, that's issue one is (laughs) Your focus on the topic I don't know if this is calling in and support because it's pretty interesting stuff or calling in to complain because you mostly talked about DIY microscopes and (laughs) uh, designing 3d printable objects and a lot of other things that don't seem to be particularly close to the subject of heart. Although I have to admit they are all subjects that are dear to me. So, <laughs>
1: I mean, I, I would make a claim that in fact, video game design is experience design um, <laughs> and educational practices is also go. experience design.
3: All right. Well, I, I did note that maybe and you can't tell me because this would be seeing into the future, hmm. but that you didn't talk about the, the Nintendo Switch, like cardboard system. What's uh-huh. that stuff called?
1: Oh, the Nintendo Labo. That's correct, although I'm not sure that it... I mean, it did exist, but I didn't know very much about it a week ago.
3: Right. So this is what happened. You recorded a week ago. I sent you that link since <clears> then. <throat> and thus, the arrow of time is, is once again belabored. To be clear, the thing you're angry
1: about <laughs> is that we didn't discuss things we didn't know about.
3: That's right. I sent them Okay, so after you're angry that we're not
1: up to date on our news. <laughs>
3: You should have known. (laughs) I shouldn't have had to tell you.
1: Okay, Uh, that's fair. We do present ourselves as extreme experts in uh, really all things.
3: Well, no. Okay, okay. Admittedly, you you focus on uh, video gamery of the past. The reason I thought it was particularly topical, and I I sent that in. So maybe I just sent in a post-show advisory is what happened. But is that there was such a, a link between the Nintendo Switch stuff and that sort of ability to make your own mm. uh, affordances or housings or controller shapes. And the subject you talked about on, on that, which is pretty cool. It's
0: true. It's like we secretly knew that it was a good idea in the back of our brains without knowing that somebody else also thought it was a good idea.
3: Right. It's You actually almost preempted Nintendo, except that actually they invented this, launched it, developed the products and promoted it before either of us found out about it. Right, uh, but I would say that that (laughs)
1: Nintendo was just kind of piggybacking on both the maker movement with, you know, some capital M's there, but also the kind of resurgence of interest in certain kinds of video game aesthetics and, you know, kind of messiness about video game style, which I think that we preempted (laughs) Nintendo on. I also sure. think anyone is allowed to take those things and do things
0: with no, them. No, no.
3: Cardboard is now spoken for. Cardboard <laughs> is So yeah. that's where we disagree. We're shutting down all Public Lab's cardboard kits because Nintendo now owns cardboard. You're going to call um, them Public Lab-bo. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, the other thing, I actually had a question, okay. like a quote-unquote real question, which is, Listening to that and listening to like the DIY microscope conversation, which is actually a project in support of this very, you know, critical environmental problem and, and so forth. It occurred to me like when do games result in work in like accomplishments in the real world or work done towards a goal that is not merely enjoyment. And I bring it up because I think it's a totally loaded subject. I'm not by any means saying that we should harness gaming, that it should result in work or anything like that. But I'm interested in the topic.
1: Yeah, I mean, so there's Jane McGonigal wrote that book that got a lot of traction Mm. like five years ago or so. It was like, everything is a game. How to harness the power of gaming game game, I think was the name.
0: There was a a project that somebody was doing that was like a protein folding
3: game. Yeah, Fold It. Oh, yeah, Fold It. I mean, that's sort of out of a line of these, um, there was like the crater on the moon identification game that NASA put out, Galaxy Zoo, like label these different types of galaxies. You know, there's all these, what is that called? Gamification.
1: Yeah, I mean, Duolingo Uh is both a gamified language learning tool, which is, you know, one of its... Uh, learning is one way that games impact the world, right? Learning is not a tangible outcome, but it produces tangible outcomes. But then also, I, I might be wrong, but I believe that Duolingo is also harnessing the power of amateur translators to occasionally do digitizing of text. Do you have a
3: problem with the idea that games—I mean, like, I'm not strawmanning here. I'm just saying, like, do you think that there is something sort of misguided— <laughs> I don't think
0: anyone said, I'm not doing this, and then didn't proceed to go do that thing. Uh, Do you
3: think, are you asking if there's something misguided about the
1: idea of, like, I mean, they call them, like, serious games is one of the phrases. Is that what you're...
3: Yeah. No, no, I'm not saying, do you stake your identities on non-useful gaming? I'm just saying, I think there are some challenges there. Do you think there's anything fundamentally misguided about, like trying to turn games to some use hmm. as if to imply that they're not useful on their own or, or something or do you think they result in bad games
0: so traditionally games that children have played and this is even true of a non-human species games simulate work in some way so small predator animals will play games of hunting each other and tackling and stalking and, and
1: prey animals will build forts
3: <laughs> like the lamp stack game
1: Uh, Yeah, prey animals (laughs) will build web servers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But so there's this idea that on some way playing video games is sort of practice work for children. It is sort of simulating work that you can do. I definitely learned how to navigate a DOS prompt. Not that this has become relevant to my adult life. Well, I use the terminal.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was relevant along the way to your adult life. Right.
3: It was critical skills building towards playing NetHack.
0: Well. Yeah, I didn't play NetHack as a kid, but I played it after I
3: already. (laughs) But you can now.
0: Yeah, I've played it since. But that's not strictly speaking accomplishing something now, but as far as a developmental thing, and it's sort of an older idea that games are for kids, which is not strictly not true considering how many adults play video games these days.
1: Yeah, I mean, play is practice. In many cases, play in games is practice doing hard things. Mm. But something about the magic of play and the way that you can engage with a game feels to me like it's fundamentally connected to the low-stakes nature of play. That when you add stakes to things, you have to approach them in a much more careful way and you can't have this you can't have the same kinds of really like enriching experiences that that you can have when you're playing but at the same time work is like a funny concept too at the same time when i talk to kids and work with kids a lot you know i frequently say the offhand comment that making video games is like the most fun game of all um it's
0: certainly more fun than playing most of them
1: and like you know we're talking about the microscope project there are like aspects of that project which are very playful and for me they involved like mixing a bunch of things and trying a bunch of things together and seeing what happened and having it not work and trying again and a lot of this stuff involved like clicking on a computer (laughs) and pressing buttons and getting a different outcome and you know i'm solving a puzzle and so i guess at a certain point when you ask the question there's two ways to ask the question and one is about bringing game elements to things that are worky And the other is about bringing play elements to things that are serious. Mm. And so there's this way that we bring game elements to things that are worky or boring that we gamify them. We like give a reward to the real estate agent who sold the most property I've seen on television. I'm sure that's true.
3: Employee of the month, yeah.
1: We do Khan Academy where you get a bazillion points for solving math problems. Yeah,
0: I find this objectionable because what we've done is decided to gamify things by adding points but it's like somebody had learned what a game is in the 80s, where you must get points at your arcade game, and your goal is to get the highest score. But most games no longer have points. Or if they do, they're sort of weirdly... You're saying
3: they kind of miss the and They try to make things into games by adding points instead of making things into games by adding fun.
1: Yeah, or play, right? Right. Yeah, play. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I think is true there is that there's two... Even like thinking about these like points and other things that are gamification elements are... They're like psychological manipulation techniques, right? Mm -hmm. And they can either be used to get people to do things they don't want to do or they can be used to help people do things that they're having trouble doing. Mm -hmm. So, like, Habit RPG is a really interesting one Mm -hmm. because it is entirely produced by the user. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like, (laughs) Habit RPG isn't trying to get you to do anything in particular.
3: Now called Habitica, it's a Uh, game formerly known as Habit RPG, made in Somerville.
1: Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I think I knew
3: that. On Highland Ave, I think is the address of the... Oh, well, that's Whatever awesome. Whatever institution it is. I mean, yeah, it's
1: kind of true. awesome. <laughs> no, Habitic RPG is great, mostly. I spent a lot of time last year <laughs> telling children to stop playing Habit RPG merely as an engine to make their points go up.
0: Yeah, you can turn it into cookie <laughs> clicker.
1: Because it turns out that these psychological manipulation techniques that can get you to do a kind of stupid, repetitive behavior because they increase numbers work.
3: They work so well that they work to the detriment of all other interactions. <laughs>
1: and the openness of Habit RPG allows you to you know, accomplish no tasks and yeah. still gain points, which is fine for a grown-up yeah. productivity app.
3: <laughs> it, I don't think so either. I know adults who've done that too. I think basically that the developers were like, hey, this will mostly be adults. They'll see right through this. So they will think it's not worth their time to game this obviously gameable game to what cannot really be defined as any valuable end. And they were wrong. <laughs> they actually were wrong. It's kind of like so. how
1: CalClicker started out as a joke. Mm. <laughs> now look
3: at it. Well, you know, at the risk of taking over your podcast, I'm going to sign off with the just closing thought that, you know, you were mentioning that the funnest game is to make a game. Uh, but you know, in in your work, there I think there's a degree to which you're not just making games, but you're also making game makers. Right. Um, although I
1: would claim that that might be less fun. It's less. fun. It's more work anyway. <laughs> it, it goes back down.
3: It's like it goes up, and then once you're making game makers, then it's not fun anymore. Maybe you should gamify that.
1: <laughs> I will go on the record and say it is not actually less fun, but it is higher stress and higher stakes which makes it not play anymore
3: (laughs) yeah okay all right well thank you for helping me develop a taxonomy around that and uh keep up the good work awesome thanks jeff
1: and if anyone else needs help developing a taxonomy on really anything i like taxonomies
3: (laughs) (laughs) there'll be another podcast and i promise to work on a a more upbeat musical interlude
1: oh uh
0: thank you all right ciao (laughs) good night thanks jeff I don't
1: know. Yeah, I
0: think we're we're pretty much done for the evening. Yeah. So, hi, I'm Bryce. Uh, and I'm Will. And this has been SideQuests. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find out a way to rate us. Yeah, whatever system you're
1: using probably has ratings and reviews. Yeah. Leave us an awesome one.
0: Yeah, that would be great. And if you have any questions or comments that you would like to ask us or things we overlooked horribly, You could let us know. Yeah, if you hate the podcast, shoot us an
1: email. We'll talk about it. (laughs) Don't leave us a crappy rating. That's just mean.
0: That's true. You could make your own podcast. Yeah, why are
1: you just shitting on stuff other people are doing (laughs) on the internet instead of just making your own things? What's wrong with you? Yeah, it's some
0: work. But anyway, if you want to get a hold of us, contact us, you can email us at contact at sidequestspodcast.com which is multiple quests one podcast and you can see what thing we've decided to put on
1: whimsysystems.com yeah could be nothing could be life-changing <laughs> hold up there, <laughs> <laughs> probably somewhere in the middle
0: probably somewhere in the middle all right thanks for listening uh good night Good night or day? Or bye. Goodbye?
2: Goodbye. Goodbye.